Merry, Merry Christmas. So glad you're joining us for our Southwinds online Christmas Eve service, whether it's here locally or across our state or nation or even somewhere around the world. Many will be joining us for a time of outdoor worship on our courtyard and wherever we encounter you this Christmas Eve, we're grateful. Well, it is Christmas Eve and Christmas is almost here. You've almost made it to Christmas and maybe joining us for worship is one of the last things you're doing on this night before Christmas. We've been talking about how to have the best Christmas ever these past few weeks, even after a year like 2020. And we've been seeing in God's word that God wants to give us good gifts. Tonight, we're talking about the gift of light. We all know that 2020 has been a year with a lot of darkness. We're over nine months into a pandemic that we never saw coming. We're still coming out of months and months of social and political unrest. Lots of people have lost jobs or experienced significant financial setbacks this year. And one thing I've heard person after person say is, I can't wait for 2021. This world seems very dark right now. We need light. And we all know that Christmas is a season of lights. So many of you put lights on your home at Christmas and we light our Christmas trees and we light candles. We love the beauty of light. Have you ever asked yourself why lights are such a big part of Christmas? It all goes back to God's word, the Bible. Time and time again, the Bible uses the metaphor of light to talk about what happened at Christmas. Just a few verses. John 1, 9 says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And of course, that's Jesus. Luke 1, 78 and 79, love this. Through the heartfelt mercies of our God, God's sunrise will break in upon us, shining on those in the darkness. Isn't that good? And in John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now, there are many, many more verses, but tonight I want to focus on three verses from Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 is about darkness and about light breaking in on darkness. And we need that. You probably know that we don't really know exactly when Jesus was born. Most scholars believe Christians decided that the most appropriate time to celebrate the coming of God's light into a dark world was when that world was at its darkest. And I think God wants to tell us, especially in times like 2020, that there is still hope in dark days. And that hope comes from God's light. Every year, Christmas is a declaration by God's people all around the world that this darkness will not last. We believe that the light of the world has come and that he is going to return one day to banish darkness forever. The verses we're studying tonight are part of this amazing grand story of God's salvation plan unfolding on earth. And if you get caught up in this story and you find your place in it, it will change your life and it will give you unshakable hope. Let's listen to God's word for us this Christmas Eve. We're going to be looking at Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2 and 6. And we'll start with verse 2. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Well, what is Isaiah talking about? Who are these people and what does this mean for us in 2020? This passage of Isaiah is really about three things. It's about a problem, it's about a promise, and it's about a person. Let's look first at the problem. The people that Isaiah is referring to are the ten tribes of Israel in the north who are living in the darkest days imaginable. Look what it says in the last two verses of Isaiah 8. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. 
When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. It's so dark. They are cursing God. And Isaiah goes on to say, Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. It was a terrible time. Isaiah is prophesying about what would happen when Assyria conquered Israel. The Assyrian army devastated the land. They were merciless. They they killed, they raped, they pillaged. People lost everything. They were just crushed and they were brokenhearted. And in response, the people cursed their king. They'd had a lot of kings who led the people into idolatry, even to the place of sacrificing children. And, And the people, they willingly follow, but they curse the king. And then they also curse God because God had used the Assyrians to humble them. We often do that, don't we? Our own sin destroys our lives, but we blame God. But amazingly, notice this, God doesn't curse them back. Instead, in the face of their problem, He gives them the promise that the darkness will not last forever. And that's the second thing, the promise. Isaiah 9.1 begins, nevertheless, and this is such a great word. Don't miss this. Nevertheless, while they're cursing him, nevertheless, he's not going to abandon them. Nevertheless, he says, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has shined. What is Isaiah telling us? What's this way of the sea beyond the Jordan? And and what's Galilee of the Gentiles? The answer to these questions is absolutely fascinating. Here's a map of the Middle East. And during the centuries before Jesus, the international superpowers included Egypt and Persia and Greece and Rome. And during this time, a trade route developed along the eastern edge of the Mediterranean that that facilitated travel and commerce. And it was called the Via Maris, the way of the sea. And on the Via Maris, at one point, there's this little place, kind of a, a bottleneck, where the route gets narrow. And if you can control this spot, you can pretty much control the whole trade route. It was very contested real estate. Let's zoom in a little closer on the bottleneck. This is the northern coast of a lake known as the Sea of Galilee. And you can see the Via Maris on one side, the Galilee Mountains. And this part of the Via Maris goes right along the northern edge of the Sea of Galilee. And it is this tight little spot that all of these empires battled to control. One empire had it for a time, then they get defeated and another empire moves in. And you can see why this was such a strategic place. And over the years, the people who lived here Well, they were living in a perpetual war zone. Everything was always getting torn up. If this was your home, you were just getting beaten to a pulp in the process. And this is why to this day, you can still find ruins and pagan temples from Egypt, Persia, Greece, and Rome, because all of them occupied this area. It was also why the Jews headquartered down in Jerusalem despised this place and despised the people who lived there. They saw it as defiled and polluted by all the pagan influence. And so they called it the land of darkness. But this is where we see how amazing God is. Because right here on this little choke point, there's a little city called Capernaum. And maybe you've heard of it. 
The reason you've heard of it is because Capernaum becomes the center of ministry for Jesus. His center of ministry in Galilee. And he actually lives in Capernaum. It's his hometown. Why is this significant? Well, there is really no better spot in the whole world to influence the rest of the world. Everyone traveled through here. It was like the world washed up on your doorstep every day because of this trade route. And it's so brilliant how God would orchestrate this as part of his grand plan. Now, not only that, but Isaiah, who's talking about this centuries earlier, he's predicting where the light will dawn, where the Messiah will emerge, where he will live. It's like down to the very street that he will live on. It's incredible. And this reminder that God so often works in ways we don't understand at the moment, that should encourage you. God is working even when we don't see it or feel it or understand it. And there's more. Isaiah not only talks about the place Messiah would live in, in fulfillment of God's promise, but he also talks about the kind of person Messiah will be. And that's the third thing, the person Look at verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Now let's stop there for a moment because the first thing we learn about the Messiah is that he will enter the world as a baby. He he won't descend from heaven in clouds with lightning and thunder. He, He won't be like an angel or some supernatural being. He will be a fully human child. But... There will be something different about this child because it says, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now watch this. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In Isaiah 9, 6, we find four incredible names for Jesus. And I want you to see first that they are all relational names, not just abstract descriptions of his attributes. The first name is Wonderful Counselor. And this word wonderful, it means awesome or wondrous. Jesus was the incarnation of God's awesome glory. The word counselor means a guide who helps us with our problems. And I I think it's very interesting that these two words are, are put together. Here's what that means. The way God helps us most in our problems, in other words, the way he's our counselor, is by allowing us to see how awesome and wonderful he is. You get that? Counselor is the help. Seeing that he is wonderful is how he helps us. The greatest help to us in the midst of life's problems is for us to see the awesomeness of the God who says he'll never leave us. And who is Jesus? Well, he is the God-man, and that's why this is true. Jesus is the ultimate counselor. Why? Because he's human, he knows how I feel. And because he's God, he knows what I need. You see, what we need is more of him. A lot of times we come to church asking God to make our lives better. And and maybe if you've been out of church and like you have kids, you think my kids need a spiritual foundation. And so you come to church and you wonder, can God help my family? Can God help my marriage? Can he make my life better? But when we do that, we miss the point. And the point is, we have a wonderful counselor. We can be in relationship with God, with the light of the world. And yes, he helps us with our problems, but that's not the same as as saying he solves all of our problems. Sometimes he has a better plan than that. You see, the awesomeness of Jesus to you may not take away your problems, but it always redefines them. See, for all of you who are overwhelmed by a problem, think about this. 
in Jesus, you have the presence and the promise of the God who holds the whole universe in his hands and the absolute approval of the only one whose opinion really matters. Look at the next name. Jesus is called Mighty God. Now here, God is a clear reference to his divine nature, to his power. This Messiah will not only be a child, a real human being, but he will be God. And then mighty is the word for warrior. The Messiah will come as a warrior king who will defeat sin and death, our greatest enemies. So Jesus is our warrior God who, who makes war on our behalf and defeats all our enemies. Whatever darkness you face, whatever challenge looms large before you, you can know that this child, this son, prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before his birth, he can conquer it. He can overcome it. Nothing is impossible with God. And Jesus is God. Third, Jesus is called Everlasting Father. Now, this name may seem odd to us because as Christians, we believe Jesus was the second member of the Trinity. He's called God's Son, and normally the Son isn't called the Father, but here he is. And the reason God gives him that name is because Jesus would be like a father to us. If there was ever anything we needed in a Savior, it was a new kind of father. For many of us, maybe the greatest pain in your life goes back to a messed up relationship with your father. Some of you have good fathers, but many of you had bad dads. Maybe he was abusive. Maybe he was absent because of divorce or busyness. Maybe he always seemed to be disappointed with you. Maybe he never told you he loved you. Maybe he never emotionally connected to you. Maybe the word father kind of triggers you. And if that's you, I understand how this could be a difficult concept because of that deep wound. But can I encourage you to do this? Judge your earthly father by your heavenly one, not your heavenly father by your earthly one. Now, I know that's a lot easier to say than to do, but maybe, maybe instead of thinking about how your dad hurt you, think about Jesus for a moment. Think how Jesus entered this world as Mary's little baby, completely fragile. And yet in his human frailty, he paid for the sins of the world, the most powerful act of love ever. Why? Because he loves us. God made himself vulnerable. He experienced real pain, suffering, and death, and he did that to save you and me. And that means that God loves you like the best father in the universe. And that's exactly what he is. So if you're struggling with this idea of God as your father, if you tend to see God through the lens of your earthly father, I want to ask you to take one step. You could do it even right now. Will you ask God to help you set that lens aside? Will you ask God to help you see him as he truly is? Maybe you, you feel like God let you down and maybe you're asking, where was God when my dad hurt me, when he abused me, when he abandoned me? When you feel this, I want to encourage you, look to the cross. And where you can't see or understand, trust, think about the cross. Because on the cross, never did it look like evil was more in control. 
But the truth was God was at that moment working his greatest plan for our good. And the same thing is now happening in your life. It may seem that God is absent, like God is out of control, but you can believe in the love demonstrated at the cross and you can trust him even when you are in darkness and you can't feel or understand what God is doing. You see, the cross assures you that he is always with you, always loving you, always watching over you. Jesus is the everlasting Father. Doesn't this overwhelm you with awe? Lastly and fourth, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Jesus came to bring us peace, and we can only know real peace when we know him as our Prince of Peace. You see, Jesus is the Prince who brings ultimate peace. Because Jesus died on the cross, he has reconciled us to God. He has made peace between us and God. And when we have peace with God, we can have peace within ourselves. We can have peace with other people. We can have peace in this world. And and when you look at all that, all that, isn't it enough? You know, maybe you're listening to this and your health has failed and maybe your dreams have been shattered. Maybe your relationships have fallen apart. But if you have Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace, then he is enough. You know, for 2,000 years, suffering people have testified that he is enough. And if you are hurting today, I hope that you'll let one of us show you how he really can be enough for you. We're here for you. Let me end like this. Maybe you've heard everything I've said about God's gift of light, His Son, Jesus, but, but maybe it doesn't seem like it's working for you. Maybe you're asking, well, if this was all part of God's plan, that He's my wonderful counselor, and, and if it starts not someday, but like right now, why do I sometimes not feel led by God? Why do I sometimes not feel confident in His power as mighty God? Why can't I seem to rest in Him as my everlasting Father? Why am I not at peace? Maybe the answer is in that phrase we read earlier, but haven't talked about. That phrase that says, and the government will be on his shoulders. One day, Jesus will come a second time, and then he will forever govern the world in perfect peace. But why wait for that? Why not affirm his rule, his authority in your life right now? You see, I think the key to experiencing God's gift of light is this. I allow God to rule in my life. You see, God is our true government and he wants to lead us and guide us and provide for us. So will you submit to his rule? He is good and he will be good for you. So let his light shine in the darkness of your world. Maybe you came to this Christmas Eve and and your need is to meet this Jesus whose birth we celebrate. God's word says that if you turn to him in repentance, asking him to forgive your sins and give him your life in faith to govern you, to lead you, to show you how to live, then you can know him. Why don't you pray right now and ask him to forgive your sins? Why don't you ask him to take charge of your life? Because he's not just a baby. He's the Lord of the universe.